0: whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer. If you have a heart for students, this is the place for you.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Student Ministry Matters podcast. My name is Dan Carson, and we are thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue the conversation about student ministry. Now, on today's podcast, I have a longtime friend with me, and I'm excited that he's here with us. Um, he's going to be sharing about some advice for student ministry workers, but also sharing about his journey. He's currently fighting like a freak, and I'll have him share a little bit more about that. His name's Steven Carroll, and Stephen and I met at a place that we talk about a lot here on the podcast, our podcast partner, Central Baptist College of Conway, Arkansas. And so if you have a student who is looking for a, that next step in their educational journey, have them check it out, cbc.edu cbc is challenging engaging and inspiring Uh, it is a place that is a a great one for your students to figure out what's next with a christ focus now when stephen and i were there it was called the the cbc experience and we kind of had that that time where we got to know people and we've known each other for um, well almost a lifetime Um, it's just been great to reconnect at different points along the way uh, Stephen Carroll has been in student ministry off and on for many years. He served as a student pastor, a, a pastor. He's done worship leading as well as conference speaking, and he's had a variety of other ministry roles. He just loves to to invest in students, and so I, I was thrilled to have him on here as we talk about his life and what's going on. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen.
2: Thank you very much, Dan. It's good to be here. Appreciate it the opportunity to be with you. Well, Stephen, for our listeners' sake, um, where are you at now? I live in Forney, Texas, which is right outside of Dallas. So we're about 20 minutes from downtown Dallas. And I've been here since 2001. Okay. Um, we moved here from Little Rock.
1: Well, I love the Metroplex. I uh, lived there for a short time while I was in seminary. Lived over in Mesquite. And so it was a, a good time. But if you and your wife Donna are going to go out for a meal, where's a place that you guys hit?
2: Oh oh, man. I don't know. You know, there's plenty of Mexican places out here. So that's usually where we gravitate. And then I don't know, honestly, we'd usually locally we'll do Mexican, but then our fallback has always been saltgrass steakhouse. I just, Mm, it's not really distinct to Dallas. No, but then the back, but then the other side of that is anytime we can hit papacitos or anything like that, we're going to hit that pretty quick.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, you know, to let our listeners know a little bit more about you, as we often do with our guests, could you share with with them how you came to know Jesus?
2: So I grew up, uh, my dad was a pastor. He pastored small Baptist churches the whole time I was growing up. So I've been around, you know, church and been around, you know, Christianity as far as believers and my whole life. And so I was, man, I was eight years old. And I was, my dad was pastoring Lake Erland Baptist Church, which is close to, it's down south Arkansas. Uh, It's got a Taylor address, but it's not really in Taylor. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But we, uh, it was just a small wood frame church, you know, and we lived in a little parsonage beside the church. That was a wood frame little parsonage. And that parsonage had, they added on to it for us because it was me and my sister and my mom and dad. And so I had my own bedroom. I, I can remember vividly. Everything about the moment, I just was at a point where I knew that I'd been around faith and I knew what faith was and I knew who Jesus was and knew the story of the gospel and and just had this, you know, just this connecting moment where I knew I needed to have that conversation. So my dad and I came in there and we had talked and, you know, it was something where I just at that point chose to believe as a kid and was baptized. And when I was baptized, I remember that moment because I was— chewing gum because I always chewed gum, and I had gum in my mouth while I've been baptized, and I almost choked. <laughs> so, anyway, I came up gasping for air out of the baptistry. But you know, I think that was the thing for me looking back on my journey with the Lord, and even some things I can share with you in a little bit. But just some thoughts that I had last night. You, you know, when you're a kid, faith is so much different because it's just you just believe. You know, it's not abnormal to believe what you're what you're taught, which is a great opportunity for people, which I learned in student ministry. But it's also a great responsibility because you can lead people anywhere. But if you're going to lead them anywhere, it's just to the story of who Jesus was. And I think that was the thing that was most attractive to me was for some reason early on in my life with my parents. And I think because of what they did, Um, my dad was a bi-vocational pastor. So he was a guidance counselor, an English teacher at the high school. And my mom, she taught junior high. I was around all kinds of people and I saw them just love people, you know, from the time I was a kid. And in that relationship, being around people, what attracted me to Jesus wasn't the fear of hell. It wasn't the fear of all that kind of stuff. It was a fact of, I think looking back at it, how I saw my parents love people and how that my dad taught me and my mom taught me, too, that loving people is what Jesus did and what he's all about. And that's why he was It's to show us, you know, who God is and how God expects us to love and how God expects us to relate to people. And the message that he brought, you know, with him when he came to earth and the message he took with him to the cross, you know, and the message that came out of the grave was that message. And so I think looking back, that was that moment. It was just one of those things of like, this is what needs to be done. And this is what, what I need in my life. And anyway, yeah, I can remember every moment about that decision, you know, as far as the room, the the bedspread, everything, I mean, which is something that's always been significant to me, you know, which was now 42 years ago. Right. Is that right? 40? No, that's not right. I'm suffering. 30. I don't know. I'm 54. I was like, do the math. Jesus, That's great. Yeah. So
1: yeah whatever. <laughs> what I love hearing, and what I love hearing, of many of our stories that that are shared, is that mom and dad played a big part of that. And you had this great example. You would see them living out their faith in the real world. And so many times we don't have that opportunity. So let me ask though: you hit junior high, high school, those student ministry years. Who was investing in your life during that time?
2: So interestingly enough, I mean, my story is is different in the standpoint that i grew up in churches like when my dad was at Lake Erlen in South Arkansas and he was around like we were in the BMA you know that our church was but then so we moved from Lake Erlen my dad went to a church called Spring Branch Baptist Church which is also also in South Arkansas just outside of Spring Hill Louisiana which is where i went to school and where i grew up and so at Spring Branch we got connected with my dad was really good friends with Vernon Lee and Harvey Hall and just some old, you know, people that have been around the BMA a long time would know some of those names. And so uh at that time they started a deal in Magnolia called um it was just like a volleyball tournaments. They called it the Youth Hour of Inspiration. That's what it was called. The Youth Hour <laughs> of Inspiration. <laughs> which was, was basically bunch of kids showing up and a bunch of old pastors making all the decisions. But anyway, (laughs) um, but the good side, the byproduct of it was the kids got together. And so we would have those events and, you know, would just be around fun and community and relationships. My dad would always, you know, we didn't really have a youth group, you know, per se at our church with a youth pastor because it was a, you know, it was a small, you know, small country church. Some all being, you know, maybe eighty to a hundred people on a Sunday morning, but we would do things. And so I'd say the early years, it was my dad and mom investing in me, and and then there was some teenagers, you know, that kind of a guy named John Long actually was just a th- high school student that was really involved, and he would he was always real encouraging to me as a kid, especially in my junior high years. And then, um, you know, so we would sing, and we actually had him and his brother. And myself we did we would sing trios at our church and just little things like that where we'd get together at the church and we'd practice, or we you know youth ministry to me in those days was playing fat bat in the back of the church, and if you hit it over the the graveyard fence it was a home run you know, and then we would do cleanups and Saturday events, and you know and my dad and there was different people that would do the old Galilean thing you know. But I was real fortunate. I, the people that led my Galilean classes weren't really focused on, which Galileans was a kind of a Bible program, a kid's Bible program in our churches at that time. It wasn't really focused on the steps per se as much as it was about relationships. I mm-hmm. just had that common thread in my whole yeah, life. Yeah. And um, so we'd hang out and, and we'd learn verses and all that kind of stuff along the way, you know. And so, but then at about 15 years old, my mom and dad got a divorce. When that happened, I was a song leader at the church, you know, at the ripe old age of fourteen or something like that. And I never forget it was uh, during the week, and um, when everything went down, and all those details are not really that important. But I remember the Sunday after my parents split, and or my, you know, how that all went down. And I remember being I feel like obligated I needed to be at the church. You know, it was my job, it was my responsibility, blah blah blah. And looking back, my mom began to obviously wasn't going to stay at the church just because it was awkward, right? And so they began to say, hey, why don't we go to First Baptist in Spring Hill with my me, mom, people, my grandparents, my mom's parents. And so they went to First Baptist. I didn't want to go to First Baptist because it was a big church because they ran 200 or whatever it was. And I just didn't want to go, you know. And, of course, I was a kid, I was 15, and yet felt independent and felt, you know, like I was... He had leadership roles and all that kind of stuff that I felt responsible for, even at that age. But they finally convinced me to go on a Sunday morning. And so I went that morning and, you know, it was a bigger church. And we sat with my mom and people And and going out the back door of the church. There was this bearded guy at the back door and dark skinned, you know, looking dude, crazy, real animated. And, and we were, and of course, I grew up in a small town. Right. So in Spring Hill, Louisiana, everybody knew everybody's business. Plus, my dad and my mom taught at the high school and taught at the junior high. So, you know, when you're a kid, you naively think that nobody knows what's going on in your life. After 30 years of student ministry, I know the difference of that. <laughs> yeah. But um, at that point, I was going out the back door and was fully convinced I wasn't going back. And we, as I was going out, it was Donnie Parrish and, and Donnie, you know, was, was Donnie. And if you know Donnie, which many of your listeners are going to know Donnie, but he was the youth pastor of the church, super encouraging and vivacious and all that stuff, personality plus. and And knowing probably about my life, knowing who I was, he reached out to me and he said, hey, come back tonight. We'd love to have you come back. And I was real hesitant. And he said, if you come back tonight, you can go to Washington, D.C. with us. We're going to Washington, D.C. this summer on a, on a trip. And then I asked him, there was a girl there that I thought, you know, she was pretty. I said, is she going? And uh, he was like, Well of course she's going. I said, All right, I'll be here. And so that's what got <laughs> me to church. And um and so at that point, man, I mean, I would say when you think about the heavily the heavy influencer in my life, other than what I experienced at that point, that's the first time I ever was involved in a youth group. Right. You know, as uh, you know, my sister and I, Lori, Lori Klein, who you know, but we had never been involved in anything like that before, you know, and And so we started going, and and man, I just dove headfirst. I mean, because it became home. I mean, it was, you know, at a time in my life when I was lost and confused and hurting beyond anything that I even understood and not even recognizing, obviously, the dysfunction of everything that i had gone through and that we had experienced and, you know, just not having the capacity to understand that as a kid. I just gravitated to it and sold out to it 100%. And Donnie was... Um, and that and not just Donnie, but, the the you know, teachers there, you know, sponsors, you know, guys like a guy named Big Jesse and, you know, just all these names I could throw at you, but that were involved and were sponsors and were involved in everything. But that was a huge turning point in my life at that point, um, because for the next three years, it was my life. I mean, I was there every time that I had the chance because the dynamics at my home. I love my parents. Right. But at that point, I didn't have, I needed that. Instead of going the opposite direction, which I was teetering on at that point in my life, looking back a little bit, you know, that was a, I went complete opposite direction. Now looking back, I probably could have had a little more balance in my life, <laughs> but um, ask a few more questions. But nonetheless, at that point, that was something that kind of led me toward where I was headed. And then the next thing I know, we're going to Ubrants in Central Baptist College we were going to Central Baptist College for choir festivals which you know but that time youth choir was a big deal yeah. and um it was kind of the connecting point for a lot of youth groups and so they had this thing called choir festival at CBC and we would go there and we would practice and Donnie would do his thing and um we'd go there and we wanted to win you know and but the byproduct of it was we got to see all these people and be around all these people and then, somewhere in there, which is so ironic about the whole thing is what's ironic about it is that youth hour of inspiration thing that I was involved in with Harvey Hall when I was a kid. Harvey took that and turned it into something called Encounter, mm-hmm. uh, which the state youth Department used to do yeah. and and so then, here we are at say I'm seventeen, eighteen years old, We're at this conference called Encounter that they're launching, and that's what and David Dixon was the preacher that 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 year and um you know and all these things just kind of led me to that moment where those are my heavily heavy influencers and um probably getting ahead of you but to finish the story because it connects we go to encounter and of course i've been on choir tours and i loved my youth group and i had some of my best friends but to this day you know are people that we don't stay connected as much as i'd like to but that i knew through those days and then we went to encounter that year and that's where I felt God kind of lead me in a new direction, which I may be jumping ahead of you a little bit, but that's where, that's how student ministry really impacted me in a huge way. And not just pers- personally, it impacted me, but it impacted my trajectory as far as my life and the direction I was going. But it continually, what it did was it fed that desire that was in me that I'd been taught from an early age just love people, you know, and be there for people no matter what, and let that be a pathway to, for them to understand. Who Jesus is and what he's all about. So do you remember what year that was? Man, that was nineteen that was nineteen eighty-six. In nineteen eighty six, in December of nineteen eighty six, because I graduated high school in eighty seven. And so yeah, that was it. I can't remember the first year. If that was the first year of encounter, it was somewhere in there because it was just launching. And of course Donnie was Donnie, he was heavily involved in it, which was a good thing. And so that's you know, so our youth group went, man, it was a I mean we had a blast and we always went. When we showed up, that youth group that we were in, and I think this kind of continued in my years of ministry. When we showed up, we showed up. You know, what I'm saying yeah. we were there to. Oh,
1: argue. you did, you did. We were
2: there to have a big time, <laughs> and um, so we were all over that place. We were shooting those freaking dart guns onto the glass elevators of the Excelsior, and watching them going up and down, just you know, having a blast. And um, but that was a huge. That was a huge. Those were huge moments for me in my life because they were. They kind of set the pattern for my life.
1: Well, I remember Donnie speaking at Encounter, and and I was there as a student, and I remember him telling these stories about the people that were in his life down there in the that area. And it was just always fascinating to me that these were real people with crazy yeah. lives and stories. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I know. Yeah, we had some great stories. That a lot of them you don't want to probably tell on here, but yeah, there goes great stories. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, Stephen and I have known each other um, really since about around that same sort of time. There were two moments that I remember being impacted by Stephen. The first, and I'm not sure which came first, so I'll just share both. One was at uh, my home church, Springdale Missionary Baptist Church. He was with the singers. He ran sound for them, the Central Singers, and he came and he was speaking um He had the opportunity to share, and then, after everybody was done he he just took a few minutes with me and I remember how much that impacted me as a as a high school student and had this college guy just sharing with me and encouraging me and Then the other time was I went and visited Central Baptist College. I knew that that was kind of where I was like thinking about being, and I'm sitting in the middle of a guy's dorm room. And they're all having a, a devotional, you know, Bible study because that was kind of what happened. And in bus Stephen, Stephen's got on a cowboy hat <laughs> and boots <laughs> and somebody's following along. Maybe Jason Johnson. I don't remember. It was just all of a sudden there was Stephen and he's just full of life. Uh, just been so encouraging over the years. We've continued. Uh, we've known each other. Uh, we were both involved with a camp, uh, Ozarks Baptist Encampment for for many years. And I've just loved. That he's shared some of those people that have influenced his life and impacted him, because he's impacted a lot of people. But recently, you have you faced a new challenge, and if if you follow Stephen online, you're going to see uh, this phrase of uh, "fight like a freak." And so, Stephen, could you just kind of
2: tell us what's going on in your life? Uh, yeah. Um, so I don't know where to start. I, I've been over the past year uh, been having some physical issues. And, um, and so I was having a lot of pain in my ribs and my back and, and it kind of progressed more and more where I, I went to the doctor multiple times over the past year, but never really knowing exactly what was going on. And so this past May, May of 2022, I went to the doctor for like the fifth time and somewhere in there, I, I told the doctor, I was like, look, it feels like the pain is moving around my ribs. You know, it feels like it's hurting on one side, then it's hurting on the next side, and I said I can't lay down. I can't. I'm having to sleep, and you know, I can't lay down. Just the pain's too much, and I can't. I mean, if I sneezed, if I hiccuped, if I coughed, those kind of things were painful. If I laughed, and um too hard. And so, long story short, I uh, fast forward to July. I had, we were actually at Hot Springs, Arkansas, with my with my uh, family, and so we got there. And I was playing golf and tried to play golf, and I couldn't play. I couldn't swing. It was frustrating. I had a call from a chiropractor friend of ours here in Forney. His name is Matt, Matt Nanny, who is a – I mentioned his whole name because for the rest of my life, I will remember Matt Nanny. He just messaged me, and he saw – he had taken some x-rays, you know, because Donna had been going to him. He's a really good good dude, believer, strong family. And so he had done, an ex, done x-rays and an exam. He called me in Hot Springs. He said, you need to get a CT scan just to be safe. He said, it's probably nothing, but, you know, just just the C. And so I came back, and July the 26th, I got the CT scan. And then I was at work the next morning, and I got a call from my doctor. I was actually at a, a rental place about to rent this big trailer to put some equipment on that or the, the job that I'm working right now currently in. I remember thinking, I'm not sure how I'm going to do all this because I can't, you know, it hurts to lift and everything. My doctor calls about 7.15 and said, hey, I need you to come in and do some blood work and urine samples because it looks like you've got cancer. And so I was at the desk, I was at the desk of the U rental place and I was like, "I'll fix the pay for this trailer to rent it. And I remember just looking at the lady and going, I'm going to have to go now. Uh, apparently I have cancer. So I came home and, you know, told Donna and we just began this journey. That was July the 27th. And, and I, um, I got into the oncologist on the 29th and it's a fun story to tell, honestly, because I just wasn't going to wait around. And so I called Texas oncology. just the front desk and made my own appointment. Basically I told them that, <laughs> I told him that, uh, it was a, that was a Thursday. And I said, yeah, I'm supposed to have an appointment tomorrow. And I hadn't heard anything from you guys. And so they are like, what doctor? And, a friend of mine had told me a doctor friend of mine had told me one of the guys' names, and so I used to use that name. I didn't have an appointment. I didn't have <laughs> I didn't have anything. And so the next morning they kind of got me, once they realized at that point we were recognizing that initially we were kind of concerned because I had lesions. The pain that I was having was lesions on every all my spi- every spine, every every rib, um, mm-hmm. every vertebrae of my spine and my sternum. And I had one on my humerus. But that was where the pain was coming from. They're basically tumors that are created. And so initially we thought that it was one form of cancer, but turned out it was not. Um, it was a blood cancer called multiple myeloma, which is, you know, it's in the bone marrow. And and so they got me to the right doctor, Dr. Mazzell and or his office. And so I talked to this guy named Britton, and this is, last, this is the last part I'll say about this, but his name was Britton, and he... I told him the same thing. I was like, man, I'm supposed to have an appointment. This is on a Friday morning. So I found out on the 27th. This is the 29th. And I was like, I said, man, I'm supposed to have an appointment today. I hadn't heard anything from you guys. And he started looking. He's like, man, we have nothing on you. And I'm like, well, you should. And so they started getting my records. And he finally was like, man, listen. He said, oh, we have nothing on you. There's no way you have an appointment today. I said, okay, I'm lying. I don't really have an appointment. (laughs) But... I really should have an appointment. And I told him about my journey and he was great. I mean, I'll forever remember his name too because I was in Greenville, Texas at the time, which is about an hour, from, 45 minutes from my home, about an hour from Dallas. And he said, can you be here by 1245? And I was like, yes, sir, I can. And so it was just divine at that point, you know. Yeah. I mean, God opened the door and got me in. And so I got diagnosed on the 29th of July. And, and you know, that morning that I went, Dan, I was like, I was trying to absorb the fact of what was really happening, you know, and how am I going to approach this? You know, because at that point, and I've been, this is another thing I can tell you about, but you start, even last night I woke up and you start just, you know, your mind goes places and you're thinking things that you never, you know, I just don't normally think. And so that morning I was in my closet and I was looking at, I was getting ready to go to this appointment um, on the 29th in 2000 and whatever DC talk did their Jesus freak tour.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And we, Donna and I, were at a youth specialties convention in Nashville, Tennessee, when they previewed that album, and it was so far beyond anything that we'd ever heard at that point in Christian music, and I absolutely loved it. I mean, and we already loved DC Talk, you know. Anyway, just from the stuff that they had done, and so Braden, my son, my oldest son, we would have videos playing at the house, and he would play Jesus Freak all the time, and and so we went to a concert. It was, it was audio adrenaline and and DC talk and they had these freak shirts that I loved. And I got two of them for whatever reason, how I ended up with two, I don't know. But that morning on the 29th, I'm sitting in my closet and I'm just going through my shirts. And I thought I'm going to wear that shirt because that shirt has to be, that had to be 2000. And I don't know. I mean, early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, somewhere in there because Braden was born in, no, no, that's not right. That's not right. It was 90, Braden was born in 93, so it was the early 90s That's when that album came out. And so we, yeah, 1993 was born, so somewhere in there. He was two, so probably 95. That shirt's old. And then it's, <laughs> and, but it's like his brand name, man. And, and I put that shirt on and I just thought this is how I'm going to approach this, you know. And on the definition of that shirt, it says an ardent enthusiast and um and that was the definition of it and it meant so much to me back in the day i think and even in our student ministry i mean we we you know we had youth bands playing jesus freak you know back in my student ministry days at temple and we just loved it and so that was kind of the approach that i took and so at that point that's how the whole fight like a freak thing came i think it was actually my sister Lori that said it first and because i thought i'm just gonna wear this and i wore that shirt to all my to every infusion and so what happened was i Got diagnosed and began treatment about two weeks later, and I did 15 weeks of treatment. It's called immunotherapy, and I saw good results uh, through that. And so I did that every week for 15 weeks, and then everything's kind of fast, fast paced now for me because now what's happening is multiple myeloma. You, to make a long story short, you you have to basically you have to have a stem cell transplant for your best shot at long term remission.
1: Right. Right.
2: And so. That's what I've been going through the past, you know, a few weeks. But, but the whole fight, like a free thing, um, was born. You know, isn't that crazy? How it twenty is. plus years, twenty <laughs> plus years ago, you buy a shirt at a concert with a band that meant a lot to you, obviously, and then you, you know, here you are at this moment, and you're just kind of everything changes. But that means so much to you, right? So that's kind of the, the attitude that, that we've adopted you know, that I've adopted to kind of go through this. And so the last few weeks have actually the last, since last Thursday, I've had, I started, they they have to harvest your stem cells. And so I had to get a shot four days in a row that would kind of, you know, cause your stem cells to come out into your bloodstream or to produce more so that they can harvest them. And then, so last Thursday that started. And then Friday I had a, my L4 vertebrae had disintegrated and I had to have it because of the, the myeloma. And so I had to have a kyphoplasty and I had a port put in my chest or a trifusion line and then two more shots. And then Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, I did five hour sessions where they harvest your stem cells, you know, and, and it's just and then next week is the transplant. And so but you know, that's kind of the, the journey that we've been on and and just kind of you just never think, you know, you just never think. And people say that all the time. You just don't think that stuff like's gonna happen. Right. You know, right. but but man, in the middle of it, you, you begin to learn a lot more quickly about what you really believe and who you are and your doubts, your fears. I'm a, I minimize things a lot in my own life and I'm learning that I can't do that anymore. You know, I, this is, it is what it is. And set so to face it, but through it all, you know, I was telling, I was telling Donna, my wife earlier, I was up, I woke up early, you know, whatever time, cause I sleep in this chair I'm sitting in right now. But, um, you just have these questions, you know, and you start thinking, okay, and you pray and, and, and what do you believe in the middle of all this, you know? And, and so that's kind of the journey that we are on right now. And I am just trying to document it and, you know, try to keep up with it better, you know, and just kind of share my story because I think like the old hymn says not to be whatever, but it's the truth. You know, I love to tell the story. I think that one of my favorite verses is Revelation twelve eleven, you know, where it says that they overcame the beast of the dragon by the power of the blood and the word of their testimony and it's our story that makes a difference and isn't that crazy because even as i'm talking to you about it it's crazy to me because it's like that's what i was taught from a kid as a kid that's what led me to jesus at the first place it was the story you know and and now you know it's still the story you know it's always what's real and authentic and true and genuine you know through what we face and and so um a lot of retrospecting through all this you know and and a lot of just kind of recognizing it but that's kind of where we are right now in the journey so
1: people have wanted to hear your story um they they know you they love you they've been praying for you you know I, we want i wanted to share this today for this purpose i know that this is this has been difficult um i have not experienced this myself what are some of the the big maybe big lessons that god has taught you maybe one or two things
2: I think the first thing that, and I think the first thing that I would say, is, you know, whenever you in ministry for all these years, as you know, and 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 guys listening know, and people listening know, you you hear and you're around people all all the time. You hear stories of people getting cancer, lost loved ones, or illness, or whatever the case is, tragedy of some sort. And early on in my ministry, uh, Richard Walters told me, he said, "Stephen, if you'd be there for people." genuinely be there for them in the most joyous times of their life and the most difficult times of their life, then you make a difference. And I learned early on that through mentors of mine to tell people, if you don't know what they're feeling, don't tell them, you know, just be there for them. Because if you don't know, you don't know. So, but while you're around all those people, you begin to hear things coming out of them, like stuff like, I'm grateful. And at the time, I think you hear them say that and you recognize that's true and you have that own experience in your life at certain levels. Right. But I think the first thing I would say is that, Oh man, I'm grateful. And I, cause I know that God didn't do this to me. Right. But I, and I know it's a result of just living in this world and, and I could take you on a journey with that, which we won't do. Cause that's a rabbit hole. We don't want to go down, but, cause that gets away from what your question is. But I think that's the first thing I would say, man, is that, because you you look at life differently you know and i don't and i don't want to don't hear me say that this is something i this is not something that i want you know it's not like i would rather be grateful and not have to have this you know
1: right right
2: but you don't realize how much you're loved i think and you learn so much about yourself if you allow it, if you allow it. and I think then I've been really fortunate to have the people that I've had in my life that helped me begin to be introspective a little bit more sometimes to a fault. But I would say the first thing that I've learned is to be grateful and gratitude for the standpoint of like you know just my family, my wife, you know, and Don, my kids and and then my life and the relationships that I've been blessed to have and then just being able to to like last night to give you an example, I was I had to go you know, I got up in the middle of the night and had to go to the bathroom and I was sitting there looking in the mirror and you know, was pulled my shirt up to look at this trifusion line in my chest. You know, and I'm just and at some point you sit there and you got like, this is really happening to me. And then you just start asking, Who am I? You know, what do I believe? I mean, praying and going, you know, God and and you start like thinking, God heaven and life and mortality and all this crazy stuff that for whatever reason, I'm 54 years old. That should be something I think about, you know, more, but you don't because you get so busy with life and you're moving so fast and you've got so much going on and you're trying to handle things. And so in that gratitude, I'm grateful for the perspective, I guess, of just sitting. And, And last night as I was sitting there praying, I was like, the one thing that I thought, man, was and this is the truth i was like um why do i believe in you and then stuff like that and then at that moment i was like because i've seen you i've I've experienced you i've watched you you know my whole life so sorry but um it's just like this realization that's not that's not syrupy and which is what I prayed for. I mean, my wife and I both was, we wanted to face life authentically, which, you know, we haven't, I haven't, she's really good at it. But, um, you know, I've been full of crap a lot in my life, you know, too, but, but, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure that many youth pastors aren't honestly, but, um, I, I, I just, that point, I recognize that. So i would say first it's that, you know, just, and I think, this the second thing, you know, beyond, you know, as far as this gratitude, it's just being able to share, you know, in a way that is, you know, unique. Because I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, when you get a new car or a different car, you're driving around, and all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. You know, you never <laughs> yeah. saw that car before. And now it's the same way with cancer. I think and with anything that you face, it's like all of a sudden – it's like you are more aware of things. And so I think the first thing is the gratitude. I think the second thing is just being more aware of people, you know, and their needs and, and how overwhelming it can be because there's so many, right? But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's like you start, It's I don't know that there's a day that goes by now that I don't hear of somebody that has cancer, you know, or I don't know if it's my ears are more of uh, alert. And then I think about all the times that, I knew of people that had situations in their life and I just wasn't aware or in tune with their needs as I should have been. And where I could have done a better job of just being there for them. And so I think just being aware of, of life and, you know, my future and just, you know, your vision being different and in the middle of all this, because it, it just changes you, if that makes sense. And so those are the things that, that I've, recognized in, in the midst of and what's crazy is, and the last thing I'll say about this is that faith becomes um I think it's real to us, right? Uh, all along. But in the middle of this situation, because we always, you know, you know, you hear people say we're not promised tomorrow and this and that and all that kind of stuff, right? And then but these kind of situations bring that light into a whole new focus, you know. And you wanna I wanna live, you know, so Whatever I need to do to do that, you know, it's like Don and I were talking about earlier. I'm like, I think this week kind of, is, you know, it's been real going to treatment every week, but you kind of get into a rhythm where it becomes your new normal, you know? Mm, and then yeah. you see things that are even worse than what you're experiencing around you, right? And then, um, but these last couple of weeks have just kind of are heightened. It's, it's more heightened a little bit. And so I think in that awareness, I'm aware of my body. I'm aware of what I eat. I'm aware of what? I take in and that's a choice and that we make. And so these all blend together because I have a wife that supports me in this. I have kids that have been amazing, you know, and like little things like this morning, like bringing firewood in, you know, I, I'm not supposed to lift anything. So there I am bringing one piece at a time, you know, which is humbling. But that's all how you see it. This is just a season, hopefully. Right. And so you just kind of embrace it and let people help and humble yourself in the middle of it and let God kind of show you what he wants to show you and let him teach you what he wants to teach you. And you become aware of that. And so, and then do the things that are necessary, meditate, pray and listen and eat the right stuff, you know, you know, gluten free, dairy free, all that stuff, no sugar, right. Every, you know, everything and yeah. changes. And, yeah. and you know that cause you've made some big health changes in your own life, you know, and just, I've watched in your journey. So those are the things I think that are the most pertinent things is that, you gratitude and awareness that are both i think hugely important in all of our lives and so that's that's what i am learning and then to and to not i think the last thing is maybe three but don't be afraid to share what god tells you to share you know don't be afraid to say what god tells you to say and sometimes it may not be things that people want to hear or even like to hear it may be different than what they believe but don't be afraid of it and just speak it because I have said this multiple times through this because that codependency has always been a real battle for me. And I have asked myself, why am I worried about what anybody thinks at this point in my life? I mean, what does it matter, right? And so, anyway, to answer your question, I just feel like those are the things that I've really learned, you know, and that I'm learning and that I'm continually learning on this journey. Donna said something to me earlier. We were talking, we were eating breakfast, and she's been great. Boy, you- way beyond anything I deserve. But she said, you know, today and tomorrow and Saturday and Sunday, we don't have anything, no treatments, no dark disappointments, no nothing. Just live in it, you know, which is funny for you to tell Steve and Carol that, right? Because that's why I've always lived in the moment. But at that point, I needed to hear that because I just, my mind was going to other places. And I think live today. It brings that whole verse into focus, you know, where, where Jesus said, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. tomorrow is going to take care of itself just you know live it to live today and i that that is so true you know in my life today and just soak up the moments which i've always prided myself to do it but then in this moment i needed to hear that myself because my mind was going places that you know i just didn't need to go so yeah maybe a longer answer to that question than you wanted but but that's kind of where i'm at honestly truthfully
1: I just appreciate you sharing. There's, there's a lot that we can learn from the journey you're going on, and there's a lot that you could share with not just those of us in ministry, but those of us that are on the same journey of life. And so let me ask, though, we have an audience of full-time, part-time, bivocational, and volunteer student minister workers. And so what are some, some big pieces that you might say, hey, you should be doing this or you should be working in this way or serving in this
2: way. What, what would you say to those to those that are listening that serve students? So number one, man, I mean, right out of the block is the thing when people ask me that question and looking back over my years in student ministry and just seeing the things that and not just that, but conferences and, you know, working with student pastors and, you know, whatever it was, camps, everything is community. I, it is the most important thing that anybody in student ministry will ever do. And community means getting outside the walls of that building and not expecting that, and not expecting for people to come. You know, just if they come, they're going to come because you went out there and you loved them where they were. And that's, I would say, that is the most important thing to me because I. Just developing relationship with kids. I never wanted a kid, because I would go to lunchrooms, and, uh, and I don't know if student pastors still do that today or not, but isn't that crazy I'm even saying that? What the heck? But um, I, I just, that was the thing. It was every week, man. There was not a week that I wasn't at the school, in the community, at a ball game, even hauling my kids with me at times, and it was just being there, being available, and then having the mindset that said, you know what, if they come, they come. But I want them to know that they're loved. And that served me so well. And it wasn't you know, unique to me, obviously. I was taught that. that was, I was taught that by mentors in my life that showed me that. Because there was a moment in my life in student ministry, I was at Temple Baptist Church, and I was, I'll never forget it. And we I was in the game room area looking out this huge window. And there was maybe 30 or 40 kids in that room waiting in me in the fellowship hall, you know, and that was back in the days of Al Denson cassette tapes, you know, and stuff like that. And I just said that most people do not even know what it is. I was looking out that window, and I remember asking myself the question, where is everybody? Thinking, where are all the kids? And at that point, I've told the story a lot, but at that point, I was reminded of the time, you know, in the Bible where God got on, you know, David counted his men and was concerned about that. And man, at that point, I would say to every student pastor listening, anybody that wants to be in student ministry, is that at that point, I, I just began to realize that it's about loving, like i had been taught, you know, but just not being concerned about that stuff. That stuff will take care of itself. If you love kids and you love families, where they are, no matter who they are, regardless, and we live in a world today where I know lines can get really blurry, you know, especially in the cultures and the stuff that's going on around us and the way that things are being taught and all that stuff. But I think sometimes that we focus too much on how making sure the lines aren't blurred, that we miss the mentality of saying, I need to be where people are and love them where they are and trust the fact that I've never saved anybody. I've never changed anybody's life ever. And that's what Jesus does. And we let him do that. And we let His re- that relationship, let him build faith in kids. Let him... Build faith in people, you know, and in families. And that's, I mean, that is a hot button for me because you will never, ever, I'm fully convinced you'll never, ever fulfill your purpose in student ministry if you are always focused on how many people are in that room with you on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. And so I would say coach teams, be involved in the community, love people well, regardless, be involved in sports and athletics and, you know, band and teach people to do the same thing. And that's... That's what we really believed more than anything is that if you're if you, have, if you're a parent, um, that's first, this community. And that leads me to the second thing of, of parents, where that my mission statement was, we've been called to partner with parents to grow students who know and love God, their family, their community, and their world. And partnering with parents was one of the biggest things that we ever did. And I learned that from a guy actually named Mark Evans years ago, who passed to church and he doesn't even probably know it. But I just... Again, that mission statement was birthed out of that. And it, when I was at Temple, I had a youth committee, and it was full of parents. And a lot of times student pastors are, are we're not the parents, and we're intimidated by parents. Or we try to be parents, I think, a lot of times. Or we try to be the most important person in a kid's life because we're insecure or whatever we are. Or we think that, you know, but don't do that. I mean, be involved in the community and love people well, no matter who they are, they'll come. But then partner with parents and teach parents that, to be ministers, to be the greatest youth pastor that a kid will ever have is their mom and dad. And um, it should be that way. And I know that it's not that case a lot of times. And where that it's not that case, then yeah, we can we can help. But it's it's teaching that. And so we would tell parents, look, you know, be involved. If your kids in the band, be a sponsor. If you have kids in athletics, be a be on the booster club. And I did that. It wasn't like we just talked about it. I was involved in all that. Don and I both were. Don't just speak it. We did it. As our kids got older, we we coached. We were on cheer. We went to cheer squads. We were in booster clubs. We were, you know, events, fundraising, whatever it was. And we were in the community. And I wasn't there passing out flyers for my next event. You know, I was there just serving. And I can't tell you how many times, even now in my own life, I have a deal I called Hitchin span which is a wedding efficient business, which is another conversation. But even then, I did a wedding this past Sunday. And at that wedding, all I did, all I did was show up, love that family, serve that family, do my deal. And I had four different people come up to me and say, hey, where do you pastor? Where do you speak? Where do you teach? And I think that's what people don't understand, Dan, is that It's not how big of a show you can produce, and no, no, don't get me wrong. I loved, I loved it. I loved having events. I loved, you know, I loved being involved in events. I loved preparing for events. You know, I loved it. Retreats, conferences, whatever it was. Nasty nights, whatever you know. But they came because I believe not just me, but our team of people were in the community, and we just live life and serve people and love people, and that's what changes people's lives. And then, and it's, that's when people want to know who you are, what do you believe? And that's when you have the opportunity because they'll see it in your life. And I just think that's what Jesus did. I think that's how he lived. I think that's how he walked. I think that's how he was involved. I think that's what he taught us and everything that he did. And, you know, never ever getting angry or condemning people. I mean, you condemn church people more than anything. We won't get into that, but, but I think the biggest thing was he just was available for people, and so, as a student pastor, yeah. those are my two those are my two biggest things, man, that I believe were the most important was being in the community and loving people well, no matter what and then and partnering with parents and getting parents involved and I even had a pastor tell me one time we went to a retreat, and we took almost as many parents as we did kids for that first retreat that we did and I remember the pastor he brought me to his office because I've charged them half price. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, and, um, cause if they were going to go, I mean, they're already paying for their kid to go. Right. And, yeah. and I remember yeah. a pastor, just pastor looked at me and says, man, we can't afford to have that, you know, pay for that many parents. And my exact words, we can't afford not to pay for that many parents to go. You need to have them involved and teach, you know, let them be a part of this journey with you. And it worked, you know, because I feel like it was something that was really important. And again, it wasn't something that I was, unique to me. It was just what I was taught. And I was thankful that I was taught that because it made a big difference. Last thing there in our community here, there's this one. And when I say this, this, this guy, man, he came in, he was just blowing and going youth pastor and he was having all these events and he was giving away crap every week, you know? And, and, um, and so he's, he did this thing where he was giving away Xboxes back in the day, video games. Yeah. And so I've did this big thing. I was like, Hey, we're giving away an Xbox. It's Wednesday night, man. Everybody count, you know, blah, 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 blah. So they all came. And we're getting there and I had a cardboard box with a big X on it and I brought that out and I was like, who wants it? You know? And my whole point was that it's not about this and I'm not being really And I'm not saying that you don't give things away. And I'm not saying that. I'm just saying your heart is what matters more than anything and how you believe Mm -hmm. and how you live, you know? So anyway, those are my two things I could talk for hours on that, but that's, I would say those two things to me, were the most important and made the biggest difference. Because I never showed up to one cafeteria with a pile of flowers in my hand. I just didn't. Right. Now am I saying that's bad either? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that I think why you're there is more important. Because yeah. I know all of us have to go to those staff meetings, you know, and we have people look at us and ask those questions. How many do you have on Wednesday night? How many you know, all that stuff comes up. But I'm not saying that's not valuable either. I'm just saying that it's not the most valuable thing that we do, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. loving people well is the most valuable thing that we're going to ever do. And being involved in the community like that, because it, and it made a difference. You know, if people want to ask about how it made a difference, I mean, you know, we've talked about that, but, um, cause it did make a difference, yeah. but all that to me was, and thankfully it was a battle that I still struggled with. You know, how many were there and all, you still, you still battle that, right? It's just reality. Right, right, right. But it became less of a ba- it became less of a battle to me because as I got older, because I realized that that's not why I was there, and then you start seeing the results of it, and you start seeing people coming you know to faith and believing and, and attending and you see families coming and you see all this stuff changing, and then empowering people to do it themselves makes a big difference. So I oh don't know how's that' They're good? <laughs> that's
1: great, man. Yeah. I, I appreciate you so much, Stephen. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing some great words of wisdom that, that those of us who have been serving for many years like me or somebody who's just starting, maybe if they can embrace those things from the start, oh, um, they're a be, yeah, huge difference over the years. So, yeah. well, let me, let me ask this one thing. Um, we want to, to help you along the way. Of course we want to be praying for you, but um is it my understanding that you have a GoFundMe account to help in this process?
2: Yeah, we do. Uh, my sisters my sister started it for us. And so um it's on my um on my social media formats. So like on Facebook it's Stephen Carroll and then Instagram. You can find it um there. And then my sister Lori Klein, she's got it on her deal as well. So but I can I can give you a link to it. I appreciate that for sure. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. um, We're going to put that in the show notes so that people can can help you if if they have that opportunity. Um, I'm just so thankful. He mentions Lori. Lori is the voice of our intro. She is a a longtime friend as well. We met at Central Baptist College. We came that first year uh, together. Stephen was a little bit older. Stephen was a bit of a legend on campus. And there are lots of stories that we can't share here about that. Yeah. So
2: <laughs> Yeah, there are. There's a lot of good times, man. I appreciate you, Dan. This has been really good for me dude. therapeutic to some degree. So thanks for asking me to do this and following up with me and making sure I get on here with you because I really appreciate it a lot.
1: Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today as we've had a chance to talk to Stephen about his journey and the things that he's learned and some things that we need to learn as well. And so I just want to encourage you, lift you up. We're praying for you as you work with students because student ministry matters. Absolutely.
0: Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.